Welcome back. I'm Patrick Reinmuller, professor at IMD, together with my colleague, Dr. Jim Polkrano. We are exploring the changes that are happening in the aviation industry, some of them provoked by the pandemic, others simply becoming more obvious due to COVID-19 and the impact it had on work, play, and travel. As we heard in our first episode, the worries and needs of those who fly are clear. But for most of us, and for the planet, business as usual is not an option. COVID-19 has given us a real-world case study in what a drop in aviation activity might mean for the planet. A reduction in CO2 emissions, increased wildlife activity, and less noise. For environmentalists who have been campaigning for years, it's been a boon. This is wind in the sails of activists, such as Greenpeace. To get a clearer picture of how environmentalists have been using the opportunity, we spoke with Thomas Villacott, CEO of WWF Switzerland. Villacott ditched a career in banking to join the Worldwide Fund for Nature almost 20 years ago. It remains driven by a sense that it's the most meaningful work he could be doing. The environmental crisis and dealing with climate change, dealing with biodiversity loss, was just it's such a fundamental underlying crisis, you know, for a lot of other things. You can address poverty, for example, that's a really important thing to do. But if you're on a dying planet, that's not going to work. You can decide you want to generate shareholder value. That's also not going to work on a dying planet. So that it just seemed not more important than other things, but sort of more foundational and therefore a, a good way to spend my time, and um, I've never regretted it. When you look at the aviation industry, do you feel that they get this? I think more and more airlines are thinking about how are we going to operate in a net zero carbon world? But in the past, that just wasn't the case. There was a lot of greenwashing around just things like, well, we've got more modern planes, so per passenger mile, we're actually emitting less CO2 emissions. Well, if you're on a massive growth spree, the planet doesn't really care about that. The airlines do care about reducing that environmental impact. But if you were a cynic, you might say that it is because fuel is their most expensive purchase. And it is the burning of that fuel that creates pollution. Burn less fuel, save the environment. Of course, airline CEOs care. The first time I was ever asked a question as uh, an airline CEO about CO2 was in January 2005. That's Willie Walsh, former CEO of British Airways and currently Director General of IATA, the trade association of the world's airlines. And I, I was doing a, a radio interview in Ireland and we had people calling in and somebody called in about the environment of holding some of uh, airlines because of CO2. I'm sure people understand this, but fuel has always been the biggest part of our cost base. At a peak, it was probably over 33% of uh, an airline's cost base. For some airlines today, a low-cost airline fuel probably represents 50% of their cost base. So we were always incentivized to save fuel uh, because we were saving money, and therefore that was driving efficiency. But we also recognized that by saving fuel, we were uh, reducing our CO2. Output. So for every ton of kerosene you burn, you create 3.1 
five tons of CO2. It's a, a three to one relationship. So the more fuel we save, the more CO2 we save as well. In, in 2009, the airline industry under IATA, at our AGM, agreed to voluntarily commit to three measures. Uh, one, to improve our energy consumption, if you like, by one and a half percent. Uh, and then from 2020 to pursue carbon neutral growth and by 2050 to reduce our net emissions by 50%. That was 2009. So we were the first industry actually to set, you know, an internal target like for industry. Willie is an aviation veteran, a pilot himself who moved up into management, part of the team that saved Aer Lingus from bankruptcy. He joined BA in 2005 and oversaw the grouping of British Airways, Iberia, Aer Lingus, Vueling, and Air Europe under IAG, now with over 30,000 employees. And he's bullish on the airline industry's ability to meet wider climate targets. We're in a position today where clearly the world has moved on. Uh, you know, we had the Paris Agreement in December 2050. So our 50% net was consistent with what was then, if you like, the, the global goal of keeping below two degrees temperature increase. You know, Paris, ideally one and a half degrees. So uh, you have seen many airlines have now committed to net zero by 2050. And that's something that IATA will be debating at our uh, upcoming AGM in October of this year. Well, I, I'm an engineer by training, and I've kind of always believed that technology will save us from ourselves, whether in this respect, it's yield, better profitability, security, or the environment. I agree completely with you. Technology has fantastic in efficiency and the safety of the airline industry. Uh, so when I first started flying commercial aircraft, it was the Boeing 737 and I can I think I first flew it in 1980. The 737-200 was built and designed at the air in the late 60s, I think 1967, 68. So I was flying something that was relatively new from a technology point of view. But when I compare it to what's uh, available today, it, it was, you know, it, it was like the Model T Ford against uh, a Ferrari. It was so basic. And I fully believe that the advances we'll see in the next 10, maybe 15 years will be a radical shift in efficiency, particularly in environmental performance of uh, the aircraft that you know, we're using today. And what we have today is, you know, a, a really significant improvement in technology over what we were using 15, 20 years ago. In June, Swiss citizens had their chance to give their opinion on air travel and the environment as a tax on airline travel from Switzerland was put to a vote. Depending on the distance and class of travel, this would add 30 to $170 to a single air ticket's cost. That measure was voted down. The people spoke. Citizens say they want change, but at least in Switzerland, they aren't prepared to pay for it. So environmentalists have made a series of demands of governments and the aviation industry. We asked Thomas of the WWF for his opinion whether these have any chance of happening 
Or will the world just go back to the pre-COVID normality? I think it's really important that first and foremost, we see it as a calamity that's just causing incredible human suffering and grief. And I think before getting excited about what opportunities might it represent, it's just important to acknowledge that the, the huge amount of human suffering that is being caused. Groups like Greenpeace, we don't see them as competitors. We see them as partners. We work very closely with them. We have different tactics. We have our different niches. But in terms of the objectives, you know, we're very, very aligned. In April 2020, Greenpeace issued a series of five demands of the aviation industry, declaring return to normal cannot be an option. Aviation degrowth is necessary to restrict global heating to 1.5 degrees Celsius and limit climate breakdown. So I thought that was an interesting document. And, you know, there's some things in there which I would certainly very much subscribe to, such as the airline industry needs to have a vision about how it will operate in a decarbonized world, you know, so that the world has committed to decarbonize by mid-century. We were on that track. So you can either ignore that, but you'll do so at your peril. And the, the longer, the, the harder that gets, or you start actually thinking about, well, what does it mean, you know, net zero carbon emissions and what kind of a business model would work within those circumstances? And we need to stop this pretend game of, we can just pretend that, you know, we don't have a climate crisis. Well, we do. I think a second point that Greenpeace speaks to is, well, there are a lot of subsidies being handed out at the moment, and we should be deliberate about what we do with those subsidies. It's taxpayers' money that is being handed out, so we might as well do so in a way that it doesn't solve one problem but exacerbate the next. And so I think tying those subsidies to certain environmental conditions is just a smart thing to do and a responsible thing to do. Perhaps you use public transport or live close to your work. But according to Farhad Manjo of the New York Times, your share of the emissions from a single round trip transatlantic flight are almost enough to wipe out the gains you might get from living car-free for a year. Some people have chosen to travel less or differently. Others, like me, also pay to plant trees or have a company called Climeworks remove CO2 from the air for them for those emissions that cannot be avoided. It's great to see that you're a pioneer, Jim. We're happy to see that more and more people join us in our journey towards a climate-positive world. In fact, we now have a strong community of over 6,000 Climeworks pioneers supporting us. And yes, that's right. We remove CO2 from the air with our direct air capture technology. The CO2 we capture is then either pumped on the ground where it is stored safely permanently for millions of years, or it is upcycled to climate-friendly products, such as carbon-neutral fuels and materials. That was Dominique Kronberg, Chief of Staff of Climeworks, a Zurich-based startup which recently received an investment from Microsoft. Being part of Microsoft's CO2 removal portfolio is definitely a game-changer for us. They did an intense due diligence for several climate-positive solutions, and we were really happy that they had recognized CO2 removal as a critical step and that they've chosen Climeworks to partner with. Now, of course, it will be great to see further companies to follow suit. Microsoft's investment may not be for aviation, and though very promising, challenges remain. But it does make it easier for some of us to justify our travel. 
Here is IMD's Director of Sustainability, Natalia Olinek. Aviation does contribute to the global climate change. About 2.5% of global human carbon emissions come from commercial flights. Maybe that's not as big as some people expected, but it is certainly significant. Natalia has spent quite a bit of time studying the environmental impact of the maritime industry. And interestingly, shipping has about the same impact as the aviation industry. According to Our World in Data, in 2018, the aviation industry contributed 1.9% of greenhouse gas emissions, which includes all greenhouse gases, not only CO2, but also 2.5% of CO2 emissions and 3.5% of effective radiative forcing, a closer measure of its impact on warming, which we'll talk about further in a minute. By contrast, Passenger road traffic contributes more than six times as much, 15% of total CO2 emissions. Airplanes burn kerosene in the high atmosphere, releasing CO2, but also water vapor. The contrails, as well as other chemical byproducts such as nitrogen oxides and aerosols, these contribute all to the greenhouse effect. As a consequence, burning kerosene in the high atmosphere has three times the warming effect of burning it on the ground. In other words, the CO2 emissions from kerosene must be multiplied by three to measure the full global warming effect of aviation. That was Philip Taumann, Professor of Environmental Economics at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Lausanne, highlighting that pollution high up in the atmosphere is more dangerous than what happens at ground level. Although CO2 gets most of the attention, it accounts for less than half of this warming. Contrails, water vapor trails from aircraft exhausts, those that you see in the sky, account for the largest share. The water vapor produced by jets high up in the atmosphere doesn't get a lot of attention. Though during the darkest days of COVID, many of us remarked on the fact that they weren't there anymore. But they're back, and their impact is real. Though, as mentioned in the first episode, the fact that airlines are using sustainable aviation fuel, which reduces carbon emissions tremendously, is a great step forward, it'll be some time before their cost and use are widespread. Announced July 14th by the European Commission, fuel suppliers will be required to provide SAF at European airports. However, the obligation would have commenced from 2025 at just 2% SAF gradually increasing to 63%, but only in 2050. For the time being, hardly a game changer, and those water vapor contrails will still be there. Whether it is 2.5 or 3.5%, even if the percentage seems small overall, more and more people are aware of air travel's contribution to global warming. A few years ago, I think it was coming out about 2018, there was uh, a new concept that was coined called flight shame, which came out of Sweden. And it was part of this anti-flying movement and it discouraged people from traveling by plane. And it really caught on in Northern Europe, where there was a lot more pressure to take trains or other forms of transportation. That trend may not catch on in other countries where the train system is, for example, not so developed, like in the U.S. 
But there's definitely a growing political movement that is encouraging a rethinking of carbon emissions from the aviation industry. We'll talk about this later in the podcast, but can individual travelers do anything? Jim mentioned earlier that he pays for carbon extraction with Climeworks. Well, the airlines themselves have made it easy, for example, to offset the carbon footprint of your flight. So that behavior, those nudges are already being put in place. So it doesn't require a lot of effort on your part. You just click the box when you're buying your ticket. But let me ask you about, uh, just because you've mentioned it, offsetting. I mean, is that really feasible? If billions fly and billions give money to plant billions of trees, is that workable? No, I think it's a bit of a band-aid, really. It makes you feel a little bit better about the choice of flying. However, the planting of trees is not a solution to reducing carbon emissions. The carbon offsets takes much longer. Those trees need to grow and, and you don't really have visibility in terms of what happens to them within their lifespan. So there are no guarantees when it comes to those offsets. They are increasingly popular as an interim solution. However, we really need systems change to have a real impact on the way we behave as consumers and as businesses. When talking about the environment, perhaps more than other areas, walking the talk is important. We asked Thomas how much of WWF's activities are relying on aviation. I think it's important to be honest about that, that yes, we do use aviation because we're a global organization. So it has affected us globally in that we go out and visit projects, for example, that we support abroad. We always work through the local WWF organization, but then occasionally we go out in terms of being able to provide accountability to our donors. Well, that's of course not happened now in the same way. It's happening by Zoom, but again, through our local partners. So that's changed and it will be interesting to see long-term because of course now we don't want to just go back to the model how it was before, but can we actually you know, build on that experience and actually keep our CO2 emissions lower than they were before. Perhaps a biased view, but we had to ask pilot Andrea Hufer what he thought about the environmental side of flying. It's a personal point of view on this. There's a consciousness about the environment that, that arises, and, and it, I think it's for the good. But sometimes things are based on emotional point of view especially in, in the political environment, which I doubt sometimes if, if, if it's really factual. What is the fact I accept on short distances? The train is a better option for travel than an airplane. From a certain distance on, I don't know which, but quite rapidly, I think you change in the sense that the airplane is most, more effective and probably more environmentally friendly than the train. And here's the WWF's view on the long-term environmental goals of the aviation industry. We get a lot of companies now announcing goals for 2050. That's good because that gives you a compass of where you want to go. 
but it's not sufficient. What you need to do is you need to show interim milestones. You need to show what are you doing today, not to sort of do a little bit of tweaking on the edges of your business model, but actually fundamentally addressing some of the non-sustainable pieces of that business model. And that's something that they call for as well, which, which I, I just think companies need to do in their own interest and in the interest of the planet. CO2 emissions are what grab the headlines today, and rightfully so. But there is another environmental impact from aviation, especially for those who live in airport flight paths. The ICAO, which is the UN organization overseeing aviation states, Aircraft noise is the most significant cause of adverse community reaction related to the operation and expansion of airports. According to a 2020 study by the Policy Department of Citizen Rights and Constitutional Affairs, it can lead to health issues as well as to negative social and economic effects. Examples of health issues produced by aviation are sleep disturbance, community annoyance, cardiovascular disease, and mental health problems. In addition, in a 2017 study published in Noise and Health, the researchers stated, recent reviews of how noise, and in particular aircraft noise, affect children's learning have concluded that aircraft noise exposure at school or at home is associated with children having poorer reading and memory skills. There's also an increasing evidence base which suggests that children exposed to chronic aircraft noise at school have poorer performance on standardized achievement tests compared with children who are not exposed to such aircraft noise. Through these first two episodes, we've briefly heard various voices but ultimately, it will be you and me, passengers, parents, and investors, who decide aviation's future. Having been through the pandemic and with the effects of climate change ever more apparent, will we travel less? Will you choose to travel less? Will you travel differently? Think about this as you listen to the next episodes. 30 years ago, air travel felt modern, chic, even glamorous especially if you were traveling near the front row of the plane. Today, for many of us, we bought the plane with a hint of guilt. How do we get back to guilt-free travel? Or should we? In our next episode, we'll take a look at the place where our travels usually begin and end, the airport. We'll follow that with the captains of aviation, the airlines, then dive into how investors and technologists may save the day and then come back to how we, as tourists, families, and business people, deal with our need to travel. We hope you stay with us on this journey of discovery, and we hope to see you for the next episode of Should I Fly? You've been listening to Should I Fly? Written and presented by me, Jim Polcrano. And me, Patrick Grimer. We're a production of the IMD Business School in Lausanne, Switzerland, one of the world's leading providers of insights and education for executives. 
To find out more about the school and to read our new magazine, I by IMD, follow the links in the show notes of this episode. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Thank you.